Welcome to the Think Theism Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Think Theism, the podcast from Rasher Christie at Texas A&M University. My name is Zach. I am joined today with my uh, co-host and Turing test proctor, Andrew Robbins. Hello there. We're still here at the Rasher Christie Texas Regional Meeting, and it's a pretty decent-sized event, which brings in a lot of interested and like-minded uh, people and organizations, such as our friends from Baylor. Over, at, uh, they have an organization called Osologos very similar to what we do at Rasher Christie. Today, I have the privilege of talking with Ryan Cruz, who is, I believe, the, are you the president? Yeah, founder and president. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's cool. So um, what have y'all been up to over at Baylor? Yeah, I mean, I think the model we follow is pretty similar to Rasher Christie in that we invite students to come for weekly meetings and dialogue about tough questions of faith and the evidence surrounding faith, uh, the Christian faith, that is. Um, and it's really found a lot of fertile soil there at Baylor, because I think that a misconception everybody has is that, and maybe not everybody thinks this, but I know I kind of did, that everybody at Baylor is a Christian, Mm -hmm. and that's simply not true. There's still a lot of people at Baylor that are there for various reasons that have nothing to do with their faith, and so they're still looking for answers. And then there's also this category within the Christian faith of people that are very apathetic, but as soon as you start to push on them a little bit, you can tell they have a lot of unanswered questions too. So Baylor has a lot of great things to offer in terms of, you know, supporting people on the relational side of their faith and on evangelism. But when it comes to discussing these tough intellectual issues, there's really a missing market there, or at least there was until mm-hmm. we came around. Uh, and we started about three years ago. Three years ago. So that was when you were a freshman, right? That's correct. Yeah. You said there are many reasons that people come to Baylor. What's your reason for being at Baylor? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. So it, it's funny. There's, there's a couple, and one of them now looking back sounds very naive. Um, and that was, as a senior in high school, I had this impression that Baylor was Jerusalem on the Brazos, you know, <laughs> the, the perfect place to go for Christians to intermingle your faith and your studies, which... I think they want that, and I think they strive for that. And to their credit, they do a pretty good job of integrating faith into academia. I, I certainly tip my hat to them for that. But it's not Jerusalem on the Brazos. Right. Or rather, maybe it is if you consider all the other people that hung out in Jerusalem. Um, <laughs> right. And that's, you know, at first that turned me off when I was a freshman, but that ended up being exactly where I needed to be because now I'm ministering to those people that I wasn't expecting to find there. Um, so that's one reason that you asked why I went there. That's right. one reason is because I had this faulty notion about what Baylor was like, but I also went there because I've got some really good academic programs that suited my interests. Um, Originally, this is kind of funny. I wanted to be a spy. Uh, I'm not kidding you. I wanted okay. to work for the State Department and be an, an analyst, actually, uh, for the CIA. And I, I've long since abandoned, I, I, you know, wanting to do that. That was kind of my childhood thing. But I didn't really know. I was kind of growing out of that, leaving senior year in high school. And so I didn't know exactly what I wanted to go into. You know, everybody who doesn't know says business. So I was like, sure. <laughs> but I found this great program at Baylor called the Baylor Business Fellows Program. It lets you take a way more majors than you should be able to take when you're in college. Um, And so since I couldn't decide, I did that. And it's turned out to be an excellent place for me to be uh, as far as getting kind of a broad, um, you know, slate of different academic studies. And that was about three years ago. So if my math is right, you should be graduating pretty soon. Yeah, I'm graduating in May. What's after that? 
Yeah. So actually a lot of exciting things coming up in my future. I'm graduating in May. I'll be starting as a um, management consultant with an IT consulting firm in Dallas, uh, probably in June, uh, pretty quickly after graduation. And I'm actually getting married in October. Congratulations. Thank you. Also going on at Baylor, uh, I know that y'all have gotten a couple of pretty uh, high profile events. I heard Frank Turk was in the neighborhood recently. He was. It was about two weeks ago. Uh, any other exciting projects like that? Well, um, Turek was certainly the biggest one that we've ever done. Obviously, since we are kind of a young organization, we don't have a huge uh, track record yet. Frank was kind of the first really big deal that we put on. Um, but we have we did a, an event back in the fall, which was relatively successful. Um, myself and Dr. Walter Bradley, who wrote uh, Unlocking the Mystery of Life's Origins, and Keith Schubert uh, up at Baylor, the three of us hosted a Q&A panel where we just invited anyone to come with their you know hardest questions of science and faith. Um, and that turned out to be a really good discussion. We had maybe 200 or so turn out to that. Um, just for, for number sake, since I gave the number there, we had 700 turn out oh, for wow. Frank, um, which was absolutely Absolutely. Very, very exciting. Uh, coming up, we are hoping to host one of Rashio Christie's Torah Scrolls um, okay. in the next couple of weeks at Baylor. Um, so we'll see what that looks like here as we get a little bit closer. And beyond that, um, you know, the, we're not exactly sure what the future holds. I'll be graduating, so we're kind of figuring out leadership change and all that, but I'm sure that they're going to have a lot of exciting things coming. Okay. So the core of Osologos, similar to Rasher Christie, is that y'all meet once a week, and that's kind of like the primary the primary model. Yeah, yeah. We've evolved a lot over the years um, as we try to kind of figure out what's the best way to do this. And what we used to do is just have one meeting, and it was just Socratic discussion, really. Mm-hmm. Um we're now way too big for that. We have over 40 people almost every single week. And so the Socratic model just simply doesn't work anymore. Um, so what we do now is actually kind of interesting. Um, every Tuesday night, myself or one of my officers, who's also you know pretty well-trained in apologetics as far as undergraduates are concerned, uh, will present on a topic. And we'll usually take people through a study. Um, right now, we're doing cosmology. So we're talking about the Kalam argument, um, fine-tuning, and things of that nature. And so on Tuesday night, we will present on that issue, and we've gotten a lot better over the years. When we started, it was kind of rough, but we've, we've gotten a lot better over the years. And so we'll do that, and we're actually managing to attract a pretty wide audience. And we invite questions and objections. That meeting is open to everybody, Christians, non-Christians. We have several atheists who turn out, and they really keep it very honest in there. And then um, we detected that there was a group of people— they really wanted more. They wanted to be trained to be apologists, not just mm-hmm. hear the arguments, but they wanted, you know, more depth, more one-on-one, uh, more small group Socratic, you know, kind of style that we had to abandon. So we now offer another meeting on Thursday evenings, which is for people who want to be members in the group. Um, and that's kind of that more deep dive, intimate Socratic discussion. Uh, are the topics the same on Tuesday and Thursday, or do you all do different tracks? Well, yeah, that's a good question. They weren't necessarily intended to be. It so happens they are right now, um, and that's because about three weeks ago we had a ice day where there was no actual ice. <laughs> I don't know if you guys experienced that down here in College Station. Well, we experienced ice, which very, very yeah. yeah, like in the most technical sense that, yes, the water is frozen. Yeah, see, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, so... So to no, me, that see. ice was not ice. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, it, it kind of threw us off track. And we happen to be right now and for the foreseeable future, they are the same subject. And so we end up kind of covering it Tuesday and then diving into objections on Thursday. I don't know that it'll always be that way, but it is right now. Uh, so you've done some work with cosmology. Uh, what are some of the other topics that y'all? Definitely. Y'all so 
I have two personal favorites, and that one of them, which we spent all of last semester on, if you can believe it, is actually the moral argument, and mm-hmm. we kind of rope in the problem of evil because I think those are very related. Yeah, um, and so yeah, absolutely. And so we we dove really deeply into that um, and had a good time with that. We also last semester or last year rather, uh, I went into the reliability of the scriptures as historical documents more than just a religious text. You know, are they eyewitnesses? Were they present? Are they corroborated? Um, those are kind of my two strongest things. I have a couple other guys who help me out that are really good at the Christianity and culture discussion. Um, so we've entertained that before. A while back, we did a uh, discussion around free will, which was really <laughs> exciting. We haven't quite ventured back there yet, just because, mm. not because we don't enjoy it, but because we're trying to think about our audience um, and we're not exactly <laughs> sure where everyone's at. But right. we, we, we cover quite a bit of ground. I mean, lately we've been hitting kind of the mainstream apologetics topics, but it varies from semester to semester. Going on that historical reliability of the Gospels and things like that, sometimes, you know, it, 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 it's sometimes difficult, particularly for those of us that are not in the field of history, to properly think about historical evidence. How would you recommend that we look at the uh, New Testament as a collection of historical documents? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great question. So one thing that I think is important that a lot of Christians, if they're not careful, easily do is kind of think of the Bible as one book, mm-hmm. which it isn't. Um, the Bible is a collection of many different writings over hundreds of years by different authors. And particularly with respect to the New Testament, each four of the Gospels is written by a different author. And you can tell that not just because you're brought up to you know be taught that, but because you can tell in their writing style and what they tend to emphasize. You're dealing with four different... Um, people who are purporting to be eyewitnesses here. And so each one of those accounts have to be treated independently. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a case where, you know, if they were colluding, you would expect perfect collusion, which you don't have. But at the same time, they're very much corroborate one another. There's all these undesigned coincidences in their testimony that I think really speaks to their veracity. That's kind of a odd term there. So what what exactly is that? What is that? Yeah, that's a good question. So an undesigned coincidence, I actually, just to give my source here, I got this idea from Jim Wallace, who was echoing the work of a uh, 19th century apologist, and I can't remember his name anymore, but was he it wrote... Blunt? Yes, it was, was it was Blunt. That's oh, okay. right. Um, it was Blunt. And essentially, the the idea of an undesigned coincidence is that the gospel writers accidentally corroborated one another in their accounts. And there's a couple different examples that you could give. But the one I will use, and I'm going to probably miss some of the details because it's not perfectly fresh on my mind, but is the feeding of the 5,000 in the Sermon on the Mount. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of details in some of the Gospels which tell you that there was a large crowd of people there, but they don't tell you why there was a large crowd of people there. Well, if you go to a different Gospel, you find out that it was right before the Passover, and everybody's traveling through that area on their way to and from Jerusalem. Um, and, And that explains why there's all these people. Uh, Jesus asks Philip specifically, you know, where can I go to buy bread? Now, Philip isn't one of the main players in any of the gospel accounts. So it's kind of odd, you know, if they're making up a story, why do they choose Philip? Why not Peter? Why not John or James or somebody? Um, But you find out from a different one of the gospel writers that Philip was from Bethsaida, which is where they happen to be. Um, and you, you wouldn't get that from the right. first author. And the second author that tells you that Philip is from Bethsaida doesn't tell you that Jesus asked Philip for the bread. Um, there's all kinds of instances like this. Um, you can take the calling of the disciples, uh, specifically of Peter. It seems kind of odd in 
I believe it's in Matthew where Jesus is just walking on the beach and he says, come follow me. And all of a sudden Peter drops his net and follows him. Really? Like you're just going to do that when this guy, you've just met him. Mm-hmm. But we get from the other gospel writers that Jesus had actually already preached a sermon and, and oh. Peter had listened to him. He was in Peter's boat. And so his familiarity, you know, he had a little bit. Um, and his brother Andrew had already met Jesus earlier as one of John the Baptist's disciples. Um, we hear that John and his brother are mending their nets when Jesus comes along, but we don't know why they're mending their nets. From a different gospel, we get mm-hmm. that those nets broke because they were bringing in a load of fish that was of miraculous size. Uh, mm-hmm. Jesus, you know, they hadn't caught anything, and Jesus said, cast your net over the side. And they said, you know, Master, we haven't caught everything, anything all day, but we'll do as you say. And it was so big, their nets broke. And that's why they're mending them. So that's kind of a long-winded answer, but that gives you I the see. idea. So basically, it's, it's these areas where one author will just incidentally create kind of this odd question that another author, without even thinking about it, just kind of answers it as well. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, concise yeah, way to put it. Uh, so that, that, I think, is probably like the prime example of internal evidence, right? Absolutely. Right. Um, so how, how then should we look at, say, external evidence? I, you, you don't get long before you hear the word Josephus just yeah. thrown oh, around like, like, some, like it fixes something. Right, yeah, I know. I think <laughs> a lot of skeptics use Josephus to try to make their case, but actually Josephus helps us. Josephus is a Jewish writer um, who is writing towards the end of the first century. He's not a Christian, um, but he does corroborate a lot of the basic details that we get from the Gospels, that Jesus was known to be virtuous, that he was um, had many disciples, he was crucified under Pilate, and reportedly re- rose from the dead. Now, Josephus didn't believe that, but he said that that was reported, and that he was perhaps the Messiah. That's what people were saying all around the Mediterranean world. And that's an example of somebody who isn't a Christian confirming some very key details that were in the Gospels. We see the exact same thing from Tacitus. Mm-hmm. Um, Tacitus, if anything, is an anti-Christian writer. He's a Roman historian. Uh, but he also affirms the crucifixion under Pilate and the superstition. He calls it a mysterious superstition that Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. Now, there's about 10 of these non-Christian writers who all corroborate certain details, some more than others, of the Christian story. I think that's telling. That's actually more mentions than Tiberius Caesar gets, mm-hmm. uh, the Roman emperor. And something that just a quick comment on that. Something that's not quite fair, I don't think, is that when talking about Tiberius Caesar, you know, those authors who, who quote him, they're Romans, right? And right. we don't think anything of that. And yet people are so quick to throw out the gospel writers because they're Christians. Well, why don't we do the same thing to the Romans? You can't write about the Roman emperor. You're a Roman. You need right, somebody yeah. who's a non-Roman to write about him. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, everything we know about the conquest of Gaul was written by the guy who conquested Gaul himself, right? Exactly. Yeah, so if there's ever a case of bias, yeah. that's the, would, the, the primary example. So, and, and I don't believe that we should throw that, you know, the account of, of the conquest of Gaul out mm-hmm. entirely. And, and that's why I think there's a little bit of a double standard there. So there certainly is a lot of external evidence corroborating the main storyline or the main timeline rather mm-hmm. of the gospels but it shouldn't be considered in isolation and i don't think it has to i think that's somewhat of a double standard that the skeptics bring to the table okay so, so uh we're almost out of time um thank you so much for 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 talking with us um before we go though um if there are any baylor bears out there that want to get connected with Osologos. Where where should they go? Where do they find you? Yeah, thanks for the shout out. So right now, that's funny that you ask right now because we're in the middle of a room change. Um, <laughs> as we've continued to grow, we've had to continue moving venues. Um, and so we're experimenting. But we're always on Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. Uh, I would say you can find us on Facebook at Osa Logos is our, our Facebook page. And that will have definite details about where we're going to be. For the, anybody
anybody at Baylor, we've been in the engineering building, uh, Rogers in room 106. We may return there. We may not. Um, but check us out on Facebook, and, and you can get all the details there. 7 p.m. Tuesday nights. All right. Ryan, thanks so much for your time. Congratulations on your coming up nuptials. Yeah, October. thank you. Appreciate it, Zach. All right. We will uh, see you all later. Okay. Can we cut the part about nuptials? I totally said that. Right. <laughs>